0: Well friends, good morning again. It is good to be with you. It was really fun to be with Meg and her family also and just take a moment to celebrate. Uh, I graduated from PLU as well, so did Jason, so it was very fun to kind of have that energy with them, so yay! And yes, we are here continuing in our Signs of Life series, which I just feel like I really need right now. I don't know about you, and I, I don't know about you, but I also, I just find myself, I've just felt so many things over the past two weeks everything from grief, outrage, shame, hope, despair, heavy exhaustion. So we've already named in the past weeks, months, how we feel disoriented and how this is because of our grief. There is such great grief and so much loss due to COVID-19. Add to that the past two weeks then, George Floyd's unjust death, the calling out of police brutality, The rise and cries of our black brothers and sisters calling our country to own its racism and white privilege that have devastated the lives of black people since the founding of our country. Protests and rallies packed with a wide diversity of people. Those of us who are white, we're grappling with our own privilege and racism and what to do about it and then add onto that the layers and complexities of politics, the actions and inactions of our president and our leaders. You guys, I am weary, I'm heartbroken, I'm righteously angry and we're still in a pandemic, right? Jason and I saw it posted this week. It said, "Remember when the coronavirus was a thing?" Right? Right. So my friends, there's just so much, and we feel that. And so I ask again, as we did at the beginning of worship, just how are you, really? It's this question that I've actually ended up asking every time I've preached in these past months. And I ask it intentionally because this is a time that we're living in that is so disorienting and so hard that it's uniquely challenging to actually pay attention to ourselves and our bodies and how we're doing. So if you haven't yet, I really invite you to check in with yourself, to breathe, to be honest, to be here. And if you haven't yet, if you'd like to, you can just say a word that captures how you're doing. Type that into the comments or say more than a word, and we can hold that with you as we enter this time right now. So today we get to do what Jesus followers do every Sunday. We gather around the story of God as our story. And friends, I want to come at this with a question that we are all carrying right now. though we may or may not be conscious of it. It's a question that comes up for us in times of great uncertainty and suffering and injustice. When the world is falling apart in big and small ways, we find ourselves asking the question... Who is God right now? God, who are you? Where are you right now? And the follow-up question is always, and who are we? What are we to do in this time? So have you felt aware of these questions in you? God, who are you? Where are you? And who am I? What am I to do? So today we're going to press into these questions by remembering who God is and who we are. And my hope for us in this time together right now is just to ground us to feel oriented in this disorienting global storm that we are in right now, to let the story of God be our touchstone in this time and our guide also into our way forward. Does that sound like what you need right now? It's what I need. So y'all get to come along with me as we do this work together, okay? Okay. So friends, holding all that we are and all that we have carried with us in this week, we just breathe and open to God and each other. And we turn to near the beginning of the Bible to Genesis chapter 18. So we're going to spend a little bit of time with Abraham and Sarah and three travelers who come to visit them, who turn out to be more than just travelers. So envision this scene as it happens. It's all happening outside of Abraham and Sarah's tent And we get to hear it read by our Salt House kids and family team leader, Rachel Horton. So here's Genesis 18, 1 through 8.
1: Genesis 18, 1 through 8. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three travelers standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. Abraham said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought and then you may bathe your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, take a bushel of the finest flour and knead it into loaves of bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice and tender calf and gave it to a servant and sent a worker hurrying to prepare it. Then Abraham took cheese and milk and the calf which had been prepared and placed it before the travelers. And he waited on them under the tree while they ate. Amen.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Rachel. So this is such a good text. So I'm going to dig into this and I'm going to borrow heavily from Richard Rohr and his book, The Divine Dance, and how we impact this text. Uh, Just so much credit to him for this. So let's uh, bring who we are and how we're doing into this and roll up our sleeves and dig into this text. So first, let's do a quick review of what we just read. Did you notice how the passage begins? The first words of this passage are the Lord. So the scene is set up as the Lord appearing to Abraham, which he sees and we experience, we hear described as three travelers. So that's the Lord appearing to Abraham. So historically, these three have often been named as angels. Have you heard it that way? Uh, But really, we see how they are something a little bit more than that. Notice how Abraham bows low before them and he addresses them as my Lord as he invites them to have some food and rest. So Abraham and Sarah seem to see God in the presence of these three. Here is God who has come to be with them. And so as their first instinct of response is invitation and hospitality to make a space and to make food and drink for them to rest in and they rush around and they make that happen. The table is set. And then interestingly, Abraham doesn't join them at the table. Abraham and Sarah can't imagine that they are invited to the divine table too. So this multi-layered story is it inspired an equally multi layered piece of religious art? So, all genuine art is sacred, right? Just holy to experience. But the art form of icons, icons, they take art to just a different level. Icons attempt to point beyond themselves. They are made to be windows, on the one hand, like into something beyond also considered a mirror that invites the viewer into self-reflection and into just communion with God who exists here in our midst. So this particular scene with Abraham and Sarah, it was captured by Russian iconographer Andrei Rublev in the 15th century. It's quite well known. So here it is. You may have seen it before. I hope so. So I invite you just to take it in or to let really, to let it take you in It's called the hospitality of Abraham. It's a scene that we have just read from Genesis 18. And you may also know that this icon has a second name. It's also called simply the Trinity. Abraham and Sarah are visited by God. And can you see how this moment with these three travelers who rest outside Abraham and Sarah's tent is an experience of the Trinity? of our God who is both one, singular, and three. So this icon, the Trinity, is the icon of icons for many folks, as it is even more invitational than most icons. We'll say more on that in just a minute. But Richard Rohr hails it as the most perfect piece of religious art that there is. The original is still on display in the Trechikov Gallery in Moscow, which is pretty cool. So my friends, in our question of who is God, where is God, today is Trinity Sunday, a Sunday observed annually by mainline Christian churches around the globe. And this Sunday, it's a good Sunday with what's happening in our world. To spend time with this image and this reality that God is the Trinity. Hopefully letting this window open, uh, kind of beyond theology and definition, into an experience and an invitation with God. Not that we'll ever <laughs> nail down like the fullness and understanding of the mystery of the Trinity and of God But we'll just at least take one angle on it today. So we're going to dig into the Trinity and what it means for us. And to do so, we'll let this icon of Rublev's, the Trinity, keep taking us in. So let's say a little bit more about it. So I'm going to leave it on the screen uh, for, for a while as we gaze on it and just talk about it. So looking at the icon, Rublev uses three main colors, each color representing qualities of the Trinity that each member of the Trinity have. So let's see what those colors represent. So Rublev considered gold the color of the, the father or the mother, perfection, fullness, wholeness, the ultimate source. So notice those places where the gold is used, that, that robe on the left, that's the gold color. Yeah. So Rublev considered blue the color of the human, both sea and sky mirroring one another, and therefore God in Christ taking on the world, taking on humanity. So Rublev depicts Christ kind of in that swath of blue, uh, draped across, displaying uh, Christ uh, with two fingers to tell us that he puts on two things, spirit and matter, divinity and humanity, together within himself. So notice the blue, for the human. And then there's green. Green, easily representative of the spirit. We sure see a whole lot of green right now, especially as we stare down a forecast with a lot of rain ahead right now. It's spring, right? So Rublev, in reverence for the natural world, chose green to represent the spirit. It represents, as Rohr puts it, listen to this. He says, it represents the divine photosynthesis that grows everything from within by transforming light into itself. Let me read that again. So the spirit is in green because it represents the divine photosynthesis that grows everything from within by transforming light into itself. Transforming light into itself, precisely the work of the Holy Spirit. Man, is that good or what? So here is God, the Holy One in the form of three, eating and drinking, in infinite hospitality, and utter enjoyment between themselves. This icon, it has the potential to say more, the more that we gaze at it. Every part of it was obviously meditated on with great care, just like like the gaze between the three, the deep respect between them as they all share from a common bowl. What does this icon speak to you? So my friends, if we're honest, when it comes to the Trinity, God as the Holy One in the form of three. Many of us probably kind of shrug our shoulders about it. We don't worry about the mystery of it, or we just don't care. The doctrine of the Trinity was first established in the fourth century in Cappadocia, But for the 17th centuries since the Trinity, like as a whole, has been largely unimportant in Christian life and practice. The German Jesuit Karl Rahner is known for pointing out how if the doctrine of the Trinity had to be erased from our our books about God, our thinking and talking and practices of God, all of that would remain almost unchanged. And I think that's true. We do talk about like the three persons of the Trinity. You know, we just, we just did that with the icon, right? And just last Sunday was Pentecost and Pastor Ryan brilliantly named. how You know, we are where the Holy Spirit dwells. as a new temple. But what we don't often do or ever is talk about the Trinity like in a holistic way. Like the three as one and what that means for us. And to miss that... We miss out on something pretty spectacular. There's a story told that one artist became a follower of Jesus just from looking at Rublev's icon. His response was: if that's the nature of God, then I am a believer. And what we miss in the nature of God too is just is what this artist observed. As we gaze at this icon, do you experience the energy shared between them? What's distinct and important about the Trinity is the relationship that they share, this relational nature of God. If we pay attention to it, we find ourselves responding to that energy shared in this dynamic God with that same man, if that's the nature of God, man, I wanna be a part of that. Because to take this depiction, of God in this icon of the Trinity, seriously, we have to say in the beginning was the relationship. This icon captures what is true. Whatever is going on in God is a flow, a radical relatedness, a perfect communion between three. God is relationship. It has been called a circle dance of love. And God is not just the dancer. God is the dance itself. Now stay with me. This isn't some kind of like new trendy theology. This is about as traditional as you can get. The ancient Greek fathers depict the Trinity as a round dance. An event that has continued since the time before humans first new time. An infinite current of love gliding to the father and then back to the son in this circular current of Trinitarian love that continues night and day. God is relationship. God is the dance itself And that's old, traditional language. That's pretty crazy, yeah? You still with me? Okay, so let's look at the icon again. As remarkable as this icon and this fellowship that we witness, as remarkable as that is, there is something missing in the icon also. The three are circling a shared table. But if you look on the front of the table, there appears to be a little rectangle hole painted there. Do you see it? Most people just pass right over it, but art historians say, get this, that there is glue there on the original icon, indicating that there was probably once a mirror glued to the front of the table. A mirror, which is unheard of on an icon. A mirror. Can you imagine what its meaning might be? It's incredible when you think about it. There is room at this table for a fourth, for the observer. There is room for you. So at the heart of the Jesus story, God is not seen as a distant, static monarch, but a divine circle dance, as early fathers of the church dared to call it. And the Greek word for that is perichoresis, which that's where we get the word choreography from. So God is the holy one present in the dynamic and loving action of three. God is relationship. But that mirror, that tells us there's more. Even the three do not like to eat alone. We are invited to the table. We are a part of the dance of God. Do you see how we do not need to watch that communion of God from a distance like Abraham and Sarah? But we are intended to be at the table and the dance itself. And I know this can sound a little loopy to some, and I get that, but this dance, this relatedness is not just spiritual talk. This pattern of circling energy is in our scientific world too. Physicists and contemplatives alike are confirming that the foundational nature of reality is relational. Everything is in relationship with everything else. Like the rhythmic process of somatobic particles spinning round and round at immense speed that echoes of the dynamism of the trinity. The trinity is the relational pattern found in all things. And the more we learn about physics and neuroscience and behavioral science, the more we discover this to be true. Isn't that something? The dance is happening in Everything. The Trinity, God, this dance, is the relational interconnectedness that is at the heart of all things. We exist in relationship, patterned to our relational God. And notice something else, too. So this is just to say something about sin. So with this understanding of a Trinitarian God as relationship and flow, it makes sin something really simple to understand. Sin is whatever stops the flow right? Sin stops the flow. Call it hatred, call it unforgiveness, call it negativity, call it violence. It's all the things that Jesus warns us against in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is saying, you know, we just can't afford to do those things. They are death, which is to say, you know, sin is not a list of like bad things that God tests us with. And sin doesn't hurt God. If anything, it hurts us. God is essentially saying, it is us who cannot afford to be unloving. We just can't. It's going to stop that intrinsic flow and we'll be outside the mystery. We'll be outside of that flow of grace. As Richard Rohr says it, we are not punished for our sins. We are punished by our sins, right? <sighs> My friends, which is why our cries are rising up that Black Lives Matter because when we hear and see and awaken to the oppression and harm and injustice and murder of our black brothers and sisters, we know it is wrong on a deep cellular level, deep in our bones. We are outside of the flow and we can feel that if, if our own beloveds are being harmed by the systems we are a part of. Systemic racism. This is sin, this is relationship being cut off, and it has to stop, and it has to change. We know it deep in our being because this relatedness is how we are, how God is, how the whole world works, and the flow isn't working. As the Dalai Lama says, we must recognize that the suffering of one person or one nation is the suffering of all humanity, right? If one of our humankind is suffering, we are suffering. That dance is interrupted, right? This is also why it's so stinking hard to be socially distanced from one another even as we shift into phase like 1.5 and phase two, we're still feeling the effects of isolation. And it is so hard because we are made to be in this relational interconnectedness. And we feel how hard it is, again, like on this like cellular level to be a part. The science behind just the physical and emotional effects of the lack of physical contact and connection with other humans, man, it's astounding. We need to be together. So my friends, how are you now, really? Do you even remember the questions that we began with? (laughs) Because I know I've said a lot, there's been a lot. But the questions that are with us in this time of who is God, where is God, you know, we can now name. God is the relational energy and never-ending dance that is fueling us and moving us toward connection and justice in this time i'll say that again because that was a big sentence so god is the relational energy and never-ending dance that is fueling us and moving us toward connection and justice in this time and who are we what are we to do We are invited to step into the dance and let that relational energy of the Trinity guide us into action. Action that will always be the path of interconnectedness and relationality. So what do we do? Again, we step into the dance, let the Trinity guide us into that action, into interconnectedness and relationality. Isn't this such great good news at this time? I need to remember that we are a part of this kind of relational God. It's who God is and it is who we are. And so I wonder, what is God saying to you in all of this? Now that you are reminded that you are a part of this divine dance of mutual love and respect, what you hear and what are you going to do about it? There's two responses that I'm hearing in this um, that I will name for us, and then you can run with your own as well. But first, I just want to name that there are amazing resources out there from so many of our black leaders and influencers right now. Listen to them, learn from them, (laughs) unlearn, relearn, read, grieve, watch, give, show up, act, Get, get it wrong and then try again, okay? Follow the lead of those who are leading us in this time. We have put out some uh, resources, some lists in this past week and we'll continue to do so also. And we love to keep the flow going of information. Let us know, folks, that you're reading or watching or listening to as well. So that's the first thing. Second, I'd also ask you to find ways to live into the dance here at Salt House. So I want to close by extending this invitation to you. Our leadership here at Salt House, in this challenging time, we keep looking for ways to keep connected to the divine dance, right? To stay in relationship where we thrive, which is how we positioned our experience um, as a community as we move into this month of June and into the summer. So to set that up, Uh, We sent out a magical envelope in the mail this week uh, with some really fun stuff. Like getting mail right now is the best. So did you get it yet? You might have received it yesterday or might arrive tomorrow or later, given kind of the ways that COVID is slowing things down sometimes. But if you didn't and you want it, let us know. Make sure we have your address. Give it to us and we'll get one to you. But in this magical envelope, what you'll find is a number of invitations into connection and community what we're all missing and longing for right now. These are invitations into the divine dance with God, into relatedness and communion, which leads to action in our world. So I wanna highlight just a few of those pieces in the magical envelope that you received. First, you will find an invitation to check out the next round of small groups. They're gonna kick off the last week of June. So that postcard that's in there really points us towards our website, so you can also just go to our groups page, which will continue to be updated as those groups uh, continue to form. We're gonna have Zoom groups, we're gonna start some small in-person, socially distanced outdoor groups as we're able to, movie discussion groups, groups diving into issues of racism and white privilege, we are looking for group leaders. We are looking for other folks who have outdoor space that they can just provide the space for people to meet in. We're looking for other folks who want to host something, who are feeling motivated, want to read a book or have a movie discussion about something. So please let us know and listen to what God might be saying to you about how you might show up even to lead. So my friends, join the dance here. Also in the magical mailing that we uh, sent to you, We wanna extend just a special invitation to you to our annual meeting. This is our annual June all church meeting where we vote on our budget for the next fiscal year and our church council and our nominating team. The meeting is in three weeks on Sunday, June 28th. It'll be right after worship around 11 a.m. on Zoom. So check out the mailing for more information as well as our website, which articulates how voting is for those who are members and how you can become a member if you aren't one yet. Our work together, like voting, is part of how we function as a Jesus-following community, trying to live into the dance together. So thank you for your yeses to being a part of the dance here in this way and in this place. So there are more things in the Magical Mailing, uh, but the one final thing, I want to highlight a little card that you received in there as well. It's, and it simply says, this is good. So we want you to use this card. This is the next iteration kind of, of our, our Signs of Life series that we are in. You see, we want you, all of us, to have our eyes and hearts open to how God is anikephalaeosis all things. We want you to capture signs of life that you see. And we want to, especially in this time, just be people who name what is good even now. So we're asking you to take this card and you can cut it out if you want to. You can decorate it. You can dress it up if you would like. Uh, and just to take... Photos and uh, with it in the in the photo as a prop kind of like that flat Stanley if you've ever seen flat Stanley before uh, to say look This is good and you can use it to write posts or emails Um, And if you don't want to use the card itself, that's fine You can also use the hashtag this is good salt house and if you don't want to do any of that, you can also just send us photos or stories or ideas that are coming up for you. And then for the next few Sundays, we want to be able to share those with our community. Um, just sharing those stories of what is good in this time. Stories of how God is renewing and restoring all things, even now. And I know just even doing something like that takes a lot of effort to look for and capture these moments. And I know it's hard and it can feel vulnerable and... I know that we're weary in this time, but this is just such a great opportunity for us to stop long enough to notice together how the divine dance is happening right here among us. So let's tell these stories, yes? Even the small things. So are you up for that challenge? This new This Is Good challenge? Awesome. Awesome. So with all of this, we finish this time with a Trinitarian blessing for us, with Paul's final word from his second letter to the Corinthians, perhaps his most familiar verse in all of his writings. It names the Trinitarian reality the communion that we live in. So I invite you to open your hands, close your eyes, and receive this as our blessing and commissioning, as our invitation and Trinitarian gift. I'll repeat it a few times to let it sink in. So receive this blessing as yours. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all.